Dimorphus grows a tail. More Europa pictures from Juno. The horrifying possibility of ads in the night sky. Jupiter's atmosphere is surprisingly hot. All this and more in this week's episode of Space Bites. Hi, everyone. I'm Fraser Kane. I am the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy journalist for over 20 years, and this is our Space Bites. Just short little news stories that happened in space and astronomy this week. So let's get into the news. Dimorphus got a new tail. All right, the big story last week, of course, was the DART mission where the spacecraft slammed into asteroid Dimorphus, the moon of Didymus. And now we wait for the scientific results. Does humanity have the ability to move an asteroid? Were the dinosaurs properly avenged? We will have to find out. But of course, Lots of cool pictures have been coming out showing us more images and the resulting aftermath of this impact. And one of the stories that's really interesting is how the asteroid has grown a tail like a comet. And so what happened, of course, is that you've got the impactor slamming into Dimorphos and it kicked out this huge cloud of debris. And then the radiation pressure from the sun has been blowing this debris cloud away. It's kind of like a like a, a fire and you've got the smoke trailing away from the fire because of the wind. And in one set of images, astronomers estimated that it's about 10,000 kilometers long. This had happened within just a couple of days. And other estimates a few days later say that the tail is probably about 50,000 kilometers long at this point. Like, that's a pretty seriously long tail from an impact. But it still doesn't give us any information on whether or not the asteroid was moved. In fact, it might make the job a little tougher because now you've got this debris cloud around the asteroid, you've got this tail that is obscuring exactly where the position of the asteroid is. So astronomers are probably going to want to wait until this debris cloud has finally fully blown away thanks to these the sun's radiation pressure, and then they can accurately measure the position of it. Of course, to really see what happened, we're going to wait for the European Space Agency's Hera mission, which is going to be flying in and give us some close up images of the aftermath of this impact. But still, uh, I, I still can't believe that this happened last week that that a spacecraft smashed into an asteroid. And we've seen the pictures. It's incredible. More pictures of Europa. All right, last week, I showed you this really cool picture of Europa taken by Juno. And this picture was released just a couple of hours before we recorded last week's episode of Space Bite. So I didn't have a lot of details. But since then, we've gotten more details. So the first thing is, is that some of our favorite citizen scientists have gone through and cleaned up the images of Europa taken by Juno. You know, the same people who have been creating those amazing pictures of the of the clouds, the swirling clouds of, of Jupiter and the great red spot. Kevin Gill is probably my favorite. And he has released a couple of images of Europa that he's gone and, and worked through and cleaned up the underlying image. But we got another image that was pretty fascinating. So this was not taken by the main camera on Juno. This was taken by another camera called the Stellar Reference Unit. And unfortunately, it's only black and white. And it's not really designed as a science camera. It's more of a navigation camera. But still, it was pointing in the right direction. And it took this image. And so 
from this perspective, you can really see these strange crisscrossing ice cracks. And there's like one big crater right there in the middle. A lot of this is still a mystery. And really, we're waiting for the Europa Clipper to start making its flybys of Europa in 2030. But again, this is just a nice sneak preview. And this isn't the first flyby of the Jovian moons that Juno has done. We saw a picture from the flyby of Ganymede back in June 2021. And we know that there's going to be flybys of Io coming up in December 2023 and in February 2024. And in both of those cases, the spacecraft is going to come within about 1500 kilometers of Io, which is not as close as it came to Europa this time around. And it makes sense. Io is the closest of the big moons to Jupiter. It's an intense radiation environment. You just don't want to get that close to Jupiter. But if you want to sort of think about what we might see when Juno gets that close to Io, think about the New Horizons flyby that was made more than 10 years ago. We're going to see something like this again. The horrifying idea of ads in space. Oh, Ugh. Okay. Now we've talked a lot about the launch of satellite constellations, Starlink and Kuiper and all these other constellations. And it's like a nuanced argument. Like at the one hand, you've got these satellites that are invisible to the unaided eye, but they are visible to telescopes. They are providing internet access to any place on Earth. And in theory, people who are underserved by the existing internet service providers will be able to get access. In practice, maybe it's not happening yet. And at the same time, obviously, astronomers are having their views degraded by the satellites that are passing through the field of view. More conversation is necessary before you just launch tens of thousands of satellites into space. But I think something we can all agree on is no advertisements in space. Like, they, there are billboards, they're on our computer screens, they're in our video games, maybe in our dreams, but not in space. Absolutely not. So there was a new paper in the journal Aerospace where some engineers were suggesting that it should be possible to launch a fleet of CubeSats that would act as an advertisement. And so what would happen is these CubeSats would be able to change their positions relative to each other, essentially drawing out different shapes in the sky. And then they would be able to reflect the light from the sun down on Earth. And so these satellite trajectory would be chosen as it goes over various cities on Earth. And then for about a minute at a time, the satellites would point themselves towards the ground, and you would see some message in the sky. No, no way. Absolutely not. I, I draw the line at, at polluting space with advertisements. Um, and so the, you know, you'd have a single rocket launch, it would carry all of these satellites, and then they would come back to Earth after about three months of operation, and then you would do it again. Uh, like, just so you were, like, you were wondering if you could, you'd never stop to ask if you should, and you should not. So uh, I'll, I'll let you know if this actually moves forward. We've heard ideas like this in the past, and it never goes anywhere. And I'm sure this one will go nowhere as well, but still, we have to be vigilant. No advertisements in space. 
yeah, how many people are going to actually notice that this is happening and in, in, that there are actually these satellites going overhead? Yeah. Yeah. And no one will care. Yeah. Ooh, where are the ads? I want to check them out. No, thank you. Crew 5 is off to the station. We've been following the trials and tribulations of the space launch system. It's out at the launch pad. It has to crawl back to the vehicle assembly building. It's supposed to launch. There's a delay and so on and so forth. And at this point now, it looks like we probably won't see the launch for SLS until November 1st. But like almost, I don't know, this completely caught me off guard. But suddenly we find out that there's a new mission to the International Space Station crew five. And I'm like, obviously, we knew this was going to happen for a while. And the information was out there. And this it was on the schedule. And still, I was, I had forgotten that this was happening. And then suddenly, I'm reading the NASA blog, and I'm seeing some of the information out there. And like, oh, the the crew five has blasted off, and they're on their way to the International Space Station. And there was no delays, it just all worked perfectly. So hats off to SpaceX for really starting to master the process of flying the Crew Dragon. There's some interesting things with this mission. Uh, there's four people on board. You've got Nicole Mann, who's the commander, and she's actually the first Native American woman in space. And she's joined by a JAXA astronaut, Keuchi Wakata, and a NASA astronaut Josh Casada, and one additional, somewhat controversial member of the team is cosmonaut Anna Kakina. And this is the first time that a Russian astronaut has launched from US soil as part of this program. And this was announced a couple of years ago. And now we're seeing this happen. Although it was announced and planned before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so needless to say, things are a little tense right now. But still, um, you know, I'm kind of ambivalent. Like on the one hand, it is, I really appreciate the fact that the International Space Station is seen as the symbol of peace that nations around the world who have been enemies in the past came together to build this incredible space machine. And yet at the same time, there's open hostility between nations going on right now. And it sucks. So here's to more peaceful use of space, more collaboration among friends into the future. And hopefully, the war can end as soon as possible. Jupiter's atmosphere is surprisingly hot. Jupiter's atmosphere is a bit of a mystery. Like you'd think it would be relatively simple. You've got this giant blob of hydrogen and helium that is being pulled together by gravity. And that pulls it into the sphere. And at the center, you've got a lot of heat and pressure, and then things get cooler and cooler as you get closer to the surface. And right next to space, it should be almost the temperature of space. And Jupiter receives about 4% of the energy coming from the sun that the Earth receives. And so once again, you would assume it's a very cold planet. But the temperature of the atmosphere of Jupiter can reach 400 degrees Celsius in some regions and up to 700 degrees Celsius near the poles. So what's going on? Well, researchers now think that it has something to do with the auroras at Jupiter. So Jupiter has a giant planetary magnetosphere, just like the Earth does. And this magnetosphere interacts with the sun's solar wind, carries particles, interacts with the atmosphere of the planet. And this 
large amount of magnetic energy being pushed through the atmosphere generating the auroras seems to cause these additional heating into the atmosphere. And that this might be one of the causes for why Jupiter has such a cool swirling cloud top, you've got these storm bands that go across the planet that rotate in opposite directions, you got these large, stable storms, cyclonic storms, like the Great Red Spot. And it could very well be that the additional energy that's being pumped into the atmosphere via the auroras and the magnetosphere is helping to maintain and generate these storms. So it's a really interesting idea. Great observation. Now, if you like what we're doing, why don't you consider joining our Patreon? This is the members only community that really supports the work that we do at University Day. It helps us stay independent. And if you join our Patreon, I will remove all the ads from Universe Today for you for life. Even if you stop being a patron, you've earned the right to never see another ad on Universe Today ever again. Uh, you will be able to see an ad-free version of all of the videos that you that we do. You also get behind-the-scenes information. You get advanced access to some of the interviews that we do, as well as other perks and benefits. So go to patreon.com slash universe today to sign up to this club. And really, your support means so much to us. It allows us to be able to pay the writers who do this work, to pay the producers, the video editors, audio editors, graphics, everybody together, part of this team. So patreon.com slash universe today. More debris on Mars. So do you remember the Ingenuity helicopter? Like I'm, it hasn't been in the news as much, but it just completed its 33rd flight on Mars. Like they were expecting to have like three and now we're up to 33 and it's still going strong. But one thing that was really interesting on the latest flight, if you look, you can see this little piece of fluff dangling down from one of its legs. And through the flight, this thing fell off. It didn't cause any issue to the helicopter or any damage or anything. And now it's gone and NASA engineers aren't really sure what it was. The assumption, is that it's just another piece of the landing system that brought Perseverance to the surface of Mars. I and mean, we've seen the parachute, the back shell, we've seen bits and pieces blow past in the wind in front of Perseverance. And so it's not surprising that a piece blew through the wind and landed to, to wrap itself around the leg of Ingenuity and went for a flight. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about now we've got all of this equipment flying around on Mars, we've got the rovers operating, if you're going to have these spacecraft that have all these various bits and pieces, it sounds like keeping the descent system far away from the mission is going to make a lot of sense. So I wouldn't be surprised if upcoming missions, the descent system is ditched in a different way so that it can't interact with the rover and the fleet of helicopters that they bring to the surface of Mars. So this debris just continues to interact with the mission as we go along. But still, Ingenuity is doing great. And more flights are planned. The world's largest steerable telescope begins construction. Now there are two kinds of radio telescopes, you've got the fixed telescopes like the Arecibo, and the Chinese fast telescope Arecibo is gone. But the fast telescope is 500 meters across. And it is a spherical 
radio telescope. So it doesn't move. It just has this instrument package up at the top that can move around. And then the light is or the radio waves come into the telescope are reflected off and are focused to wherever the instrument package is put in front of it. And that allows it to steer as it's observing the sky. But you also have these giant steerable telescopes. And the biggest one on Earth right now is the Green Bank Observatory in North Carolina. It's 100 meters across. It's a very big radio telescope, and it can turn around and view any part of the sky that is overhead, which is very handy if you want to observe something that isn't roughly overhead of your of your radio telescope. So the new telescope is called Chitai. It's being built in China. I mean, they're really specializing in these radio telescopes. FAST has been operational. It's made a ton of discoveries. Researchers around the world are using it. And Chitai is going to be 110 meters across, so a little bigger than the Green Bank Observatory. All right, so like I wish this was just a simple yay science story. You've got cool new observatories being built, international collaborations. But the problem is that this telescope is being built in the Xinjiang region of China, where you've got the Uyghur Islamic minority being persecuted by the Chinese government. And so it's it's really hard to celebrate a new science instrument being built in a place that has so much controversy. And I'm sure this is where my video gets demonetized. But I just wanted to sort of make it clear that that's where this telescope is being built. But still, it's going to take six years for its construction. And when it comes online, it will be the largest, most powerful radio telescope in the world. I'll keep you posted. Now, we've got a lot of interesting things happening on the channel. Of course, we've got our weekly QAs that we do. We record them every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific. So if you have questions for me about space industry, come join that. We do the whole thing live. I have no idea what questions you want to ask, follow-up questions. It's a lot of fun. There should be an event somewhere on my channel. Just click on that, click on the notification bell, and then come join at 5 p.m. Pacific every Monday. I did a really fun interview with... Peter Vickers, he's a philosopher of science, and we talked about what is the scientific method? How does it work? Can we live our lives trusting the scientific consensus as a way to save time in trying to make decisions and digest everything that we hear all the time? I think you'll really enjoy it. We have been doing some polls in our community section of the YouTube channel, and we've been doing sort of a vote for the best pictures from James Webb Space Telescope so far. And I hope you had a chance to vote. But the result, the winning result, has been NGC 628, which is, of course, this strange, ghostly, eldritch horror galaxy. And the picture looks really cool. And I totally get that that's what won, because you've got just this, this very bizarre, very different looking galaxy from anything we've seen before. And I think this is going to be this is going to be the the web palette from here on out when you see a galaxy that kind of looks like this, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's a web picture right there. And then second and third, well, tied really, we got the Carina Nebula and the picture of Neptune. So thanks everyone who voted. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And we'll keep doing this kind of thing into the future. So check out our community section from time to time and vote when you see it. If you want any more information on any of the stories that I covered today, we've got links in the show notes down below. You can get even more space news in my weekly email newsletter. 
I send it out every Friday to more than 55,000 people. I write every word. There are no ads, and it's absolutely free. Subscribe at universetoday.com slash newsletter. You can also subscribe to the Universe Today podcast. There, you can find an audio version of all our news, interviews, and Q&As, as well as exclusive content. Subscribe at universetoday.com slash podcast, or search for Universe Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A huge thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and helps us stay independent. Thanks to all the interplanetary researchers, the interstellar adventurers, and the galaxy wanderers. And a special thanks to Josh Schultz and Andrew M. Gross who support us at the Master of the Universe level. All your support means the universe to us. All right, that was all the news for today. We will see you next week.